Welcome to the podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacy leaders, entrepreneurs, and members of the Platform Alliance Group. We cover the key challenges, opportunities, and practical solutions for pharmacy leaders. The pharmacy industry is a dynamic and vital part of the healthcare industry, impacting the lives of millions of Australians. But we know that success in this ever-evolving landscape requires more than just a prescription for medication. It calls for a unique blend of knowledge, adaptability, and a vision for the future. I'm your host, Melody Mugari, and together we will embark on a journey of empowerment, motivation, and growth. My guest today is proudly brought to you by the Platform Alliance Group, Australia's fastest growing community pharmacy group. So, Damien, we're going to start from the very beginning because you're a hard man to stalk on the internet. Absolutely the hardest. <laughs> I, I think it must come with the tech background. So, Damien, um, <laughs> let's get this correct. So, you now currently work for PAG in Know It All, and your speciality is technology. But there's more to you, is there not? Like, where did you hail from? Why technology? Why did you choose that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So um, it's possibly not the most interesting background, but um, when I left school, I started out doing the normal educational things and found it quite boring. Uh, really wanted to pursue the film industry, and I spent 10 years or so in the film industry and loved it so much. Uh, it was mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausting, you know, 16-hour days, seven days a week sometimes. And um, and yet the most creatively satisfying thing you can possibly do, you know, I've got, uh, I still remember sometimes when I, we just worked so hard on things and I, a couple of times I had a, a client cry when we showed them the final result and, and he can't get more satisfying than that in the job. So, so realistically, I, I loved that industry, but it was so physically hard. Um, in about the year 2000, I um, had a really bad knees and a really bad back. And uh, I was walking up Park Road on the way to the soccer one day in, uh, in Brisbane and my knees gave way and, and that was it. I had to just leave the film industry. So I moved into technology, which was the other thing, kind of my backup. And uh, yeah. and never yeah. really looked back. And I spent the last ten years uh, working for Eboss uh, up to twenty twenty one, and uh, and then moved over to the light side to um, to PAG, which has been quite the um, quite the journey. Well, welcome. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about that film industry bit. So when you said that you were in the film industry, you were doing documentaries, movies, commercials. What was happening there? Uh, so I started off in the commercial film industry, uh, and we, we would make at least an ad a day. It was really churning them out. And mm -hmm. if you were watching TV at that time, then probably every commercial break, there'd be one or two of my ads on there. I started out as camera assistant and then um, camera operator and eventually director of photography. Then we moved into music videos, some, some really well-known bands serious, as well. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Okay, I got to stop because I am totally mind blown right now <laughs> because I never thought of you being in the production in the whole 
you know, behind the scenes. That's actually one of my passions, actually. And I've actually re-engaged with it recently, um, just recently, and been in a couple of commercials right now. Is so, that right? I have to. Yeah. I really have to go back to that every now and then to for a creative outlet or to have the satisfaction. I still, I still walk around satisfied, you know, fascinated by lighting and wanting to change the lighting and um, you know trying to do something interesting with it. Uh, and I also I had to be in quite a few commercials and docos and that sort of thing because you just need extras. So when you're desperate, you just jump in front of the camera yourself. Um, and towards the end, I was offered a couple of feature films um, and I had to turn them down because I just wasn't physically up to it at that point. Uh, and I'm much better now. I physically am much better and can handle it, but uh, I'm finding satisfaction in other places in my life. So uh, I, my ambitions have moved on, but I still love that industry. Do I know one of your commercials? Would I have seen? Would, can you give me one? Oh, like my industry, my, my career probably peaked with Coke Toyota, those sorts of really well-known brands that everyone really wants to aspire to do because they're big brands. Um, but the little ones, like I remember doing some ads for children's charities that were just much more satisfying, um, Powderfinger music videos, just, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the feature films, there's a Deb Mailman feature film that I really should have done. Um, yeah. And it did okay at the box office. And I just, I kind of half regret it, but I also know that I couldn't have coped with it so it was it was really sad moving on but i'm really pleased to have um you know what, what, what else would have changed in my life if i hadn't made that change it's like the sliding doors moment where else would i be this can't be interesting yeah, for people there must be more interesting questions in this for me to answer no this is interesting for me damien this is my interest so for a moment you're going to indulge me <laughs> because i love hearing people's stories it's amazing how as people were so multifaceted and we sort of tend to pigeonhole people and box people up because of your career. To be honest, because you're in IT, we've always said, oh, Damien is an introvert and he's just one, just looks down one road. Little do we know, he could have been a big Hollywood producer, a big Hollywood director, actually. So, hopefully not. Who um, knows? Um, yeah, well, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> I get embarrassed easily, and now I'm embarrassed. Let's move on. Um, so, moving on from there, you've done, you've did it for a couple of years. So, had you done IT at university, and that's what now led you to EVOS, and then now has led you to PAG in the Know It All sort of division department. Is that what sort of transitioned? Uh, well, I studied uh, I studied technology, and it was obviously you know technology changes radically every couple yeah. of years um so obviously it moved on but i was able to fall back on that and okay. uh and so that was a fairly easy transition but being in such a visual industry as the film industry which, which you know combines pretty much every medium there is uh every artistic medium there is so having been in that industry for a while i had um i guess i was trying to make everything i did visual and mm -hmm. i moved into intellifarm uh, and they were at that time, they were a, a rudimentary service which delivered Excel files once a month. And I looked at the mm -hmm. data they were providing and thought, well, this could be so interesting. Like it could be visually beautiful what they're doing at a time when people weren't really doing visually interesting things with data. And uh, yeah. so I convinced them to give me some of that and I made it into a website which updated every day instead of once a month. 
Excel files didn't have to exist. It was pretty people yeah. could engage with it. And um, even though it was just a fun exercise for me, they ended up saying, we'll buy it off you. And I'm like, okay, fine. And oh, I said, okay. and then can you come and work for us and do more of this? And I said, okay, sure. Yeah. And they didn't actually specify by, you know, what they meant by do more of this. They just said it. And so I had this sort of weird freedom to, to find things to change there. And, it, and uh, the most interesting thing was loyalty data. So if you report on sales, you can see how many things people have sold. Uh, and if you report on loyalty, you can see not only what has sold, but who was buying it. And there's such an amazing depth to that data. So I was really taken with the idea of expanding the loyalty system, having worked in marketing for the previous 10 years in the film Yeah, industry, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. So expanding the loyalty mm. system to have um, more of a data-driven marketing edge to it was, mm -hmm. was really where I wanted to go. And we started with 36 stores there. By the time I left, we had about one and a half thousand loyalty stores, uh, which is a fair whack of Australia and pretty much all of New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so that was very successful. And I guess uh, as many great people as there were there, and truly I worked with some great people there, um, I didn't feel that company had the vision to make it everything it could be. So when, mm -hmm. the, when the availability came to join Know-It-All, um, I wasn't particularly interested in the money uh, and I wasn't particularly interested in the software. I was interested in how much they believed in it. And I was taken by the fact that that's what the interview really consisted of. It was about talking about the fact that they knew what the product was, which is different to eBoss because they had no idea. They had no idea what Intellifarm did. We, you know, we made some amazing projects, uh, some amazing products. We were product obsessed uh, and they wouldn't have known it. That was just something to sell to them. Um, PAG is genuinely different. They know what we do. Uh, they care about the product and they care about the member stores. Uh, and I really feel that difference um, from having come from a wholesaler running a technology company. Here we're, for, we're from someone who actually wants the focus. product itself to succeed, not just a bottom line to yeah. succeed or a company to succeed, but they believe in the product itself. So for me, what I get my satisfaction from is believing in the product. Yeah. You know, I want that client crying moment because something is so great so i guess that's what i'm always trying to go back there but i guess that, that's what i'm trying to achieve is is to deliver a really great product and for it to be a great product it has to be a product that i believe in and true and it's really easy to listen to the nonsense that people come out with in a corporate session but when pag mm says these things, I kind of believe it. And and I've actually started quoting things like, let's make the boat go faster. So we will yeah. develop our own roadmap of things we think need to happen, but yeah. we're willing to scrap it at a moment's notice to make the boat go faster, to give some extra benefit to a member or to a brand or whatever else we can do. And I just, I really appreciate working for PAG because just in case Dave's listening, yeah. because they genuinely <laughs> seem to believe in what we do. No, fair enough. Um, I hear you. I I share your sentiments exactly when it comes to PAG because, to be honest, there's that member in the center and it's for the benefits of the member as well as the community in which that member sits in. Now, I'm going to ask you, this is not part of the whole interview, but I want to know, I, I'm, I've got an interest in 
consumer behavior, consumer psychology. I love learning about little bits and pieces like how certain, um, like when you walk into a supermarket, the music that they played is specifically tailored to ensure that you're not rushing through your shopping and that you take your time walking down the aisles. And I've noticed that a lot more stores now are pushing that loyalty sort of platform. You've got all the rewards programs that they have out there. Even airlines are pushing it, and even more so after COVID to get everyone back into the air and re-engaging. Loyalty as it stands, as I am a consumer, what is the what is the backbone? What is the why put so much effort into it? I know, yes, we can see what I'm buying, but okay, good for you. You know that I I like buying wholemeal bread. Yeah, look, I think at this point I have to take my company hat off as much as I, you know, I can say good things about our company. And I want to talk about what it could be. Um, I'd like to believe in pharmacy in Australia. Uh, and I'd like yeah. to, as someone who is obsessed with my own health. Uh, and obsessed with the health of the world, I'd like to believe in what we do is, is not just trying to sell stuff to six people because there can be negative yeah. connotations to that. Yeah. Um, I'd like yeah. to believe in where we can get to. And loyalty can use that data really well to deliver a health-oriented service. And that's what I really want Australian pharmacy to get to, where we don't have 300 loyalty programs. We have only a couple of main ones. They can talk to each other, and it's part of... Mm your health experience in going to a pharmacy to stay well or to get well. And I think there's not enough focus on staying well in pharmacy. And how do we do that? Well, like I said, the, the data is so rich and we can track a lot of things and do a lot of things with that data. And it really should be, uh, instead of a loyalty club or a club card or a discount club, it should for me be about what we can do to make people stay healthy for longer in their lives uh, and to be able to find things in the data that can help them on their health journey. Uh, mm. So on that side, that's what I'd really like to achieve on a personal level. You know, we spend so much, so long at work, so, so much of our lives at work. You know, it's five days a week, eight hours a day is an absolute minimum, far more time than we spend with our families uh, and with our friends. So for me to, for, for this to be a really satisfying thing for me, that's what I would like to see happen with loyalty in any retail industry is, is that it's for the good of the consumer and the world um yeah how does it benefit the stores well there are two sides to it you know stores and consumers you can give them a hook to come back into the store you can give them some little surprise and delights no one no one ever complains about getting a voucher in the email you know, that's the sort of thing that we do um the question is whether we use the vouchers though yeah i mean we all love breakage too in, in the loyalty industry so. <laughs> um but then it's also a fantastic way for the for the stores to consume to to do sorry it's a fantastic way for the stores to communicate to their members and by yeah. members i really mean patients so yes they can do things like say here is our latest catalog and this is on sale but also the way i would like to see it evolving is to say um you know we can see you've been on a tour for statin why don't you try buying this companion product as well that's good for the consumer because it's actually taking the time to spend more time in a consultation with them that wasn't available in the store. You know, in a the store, there's 10 people behind them in the queue and the, the pharmacist is going to need to serve that person and the next one in a few seconds. 
And yes. uh, to actually have that proper health conversation isn't always possible. When you've got a, a loyalty system that's about health as well, you can communicate. You can do more yeah, things than just sell. There's a benefit to the consumer. There's a benefit to the patient. There's a benefit to the member. There's a benefit to the store. And when we're providing those services and doing it well to, to our groups, then there's a benefit to us as a brand. And I, I just, I genuinely feel that if you do things with the best of intention for the other party, then mm -hmm. everything will succeed genuinely rather than trying to do things for our sake and then it may or may not succeed because we're obviously putting ourselves first. Very true. Actually, one of the things you said um, about continuing the care of a patient even after long after they've left the pharmacy, now that struck volumes. And the reason why is be purely because that recently studies are showing that certain mental health conditions, even those who... Um, are living with diabetes are benefiting from having that constant communication with a health professional, whether it is digitally or in person. But a lot of times we can't make it in person. So having that digital connection at times benefits the patient because they don't feel like they're walking the journey alone and they can take us home with them based and pop us out whenever they need to ask us a question. So if your vision is for one day to have it almost in an AI environment where pharmacists can interact with your patients at home, like we're pharmacists in a pocket, I am all for that. And I will do the ad for it as well. I just want to let you <laughs> I'll know. Film it. It. <laughs> and I'll do the ad. Um, but with technology along the same lines of that, is, I mean, right now there's a lot happening. Like it's as if internet, like it shot us up to another scale. So social media took us to another scale. And then now we've got chat GPT and all this AI technology coming in. That looks like it's shooting us to a whole different scale. Does that translate in your everyday sort of development like when you're thinking of new ideas because I think that one time I came up to you and this was before WhatsApp actually even had their business accounts and I sort of was asking on behalf of one of our sister stores not in Australia and I was like can we do an EDM via WhatsApp like you know is that a possibility because in that country SMSs was going to be a very expensive mm. sort of way of trying to do it but using WhatsApp would have been a more cost-effective way do you find that you're constantly have you constantly have to just grasp whatever is there and utilize it and plug it in as quick as possible? Yeah, look, um, the most interesting thing about the technology industry is how quickly it changes. Uh, we can use a cutting edge piece of software, for example, uh, we can use a cutting edge um, coding framework which is new and which has been used by the biggest and best companies and which has so much going for it. And in two years, it will be outdated and ready to be deprecated and we'll need to update our software. Uh, and as dangerous as that sounds, it is the most interesting thing about the environment. You know, you can almost guarantee that your job will be roughly the same in two years with what you're doing. You know, little responsibilities will come and go. I know that my job will be totally different and I won't have yeah. a different title. I won't be doing anything um, to, to encourage that change. It will just be totally different because technology is yeah, like Yeah, you that. could be AI. 
in two years. Hopefully. Uh, so um, I think the biggest change we've had in terms of technology since the Industrial Revolution was actually the smartphone. Um, it okay. totally revolutionised the world, the entire world. And it's really made a lot of people engage with technology. And if people are waiting for AI to come in and do something profound, it's they need to look over their shoulder because it's happened. Most things that we're yeah. doing online, most things we do in our smartphone, they're going to be AI driven. You know, there's so much in the latest couple of operating systems from Android and Apple that are so uh, deeply AI driven. You can't see a photo these days that isn't basically taken with AI. Uh, so AI is here. Um, it's quite concerning in a lot of ways, but it's also incredibly convenient in a lot of ways. Will it really make a difference to us in our day-to-day -day lives? I think it's probably fair to say it actually already does and we just don't realise it. Yeah, it has. I mean, jobs, there was the whole talk about whether jobs are secure if, you know, you could get AI, chat GPT to sort of produce, sort of, yeah, why would you bother hiring somebody? And in some cases that's very true. Um, you know, it's very easy to come up with graphics and improve the graphics yes. itself without any skill with graphics programs. Certainly copywriting is in massive danger. And, you know, there was a Hollywood strike in the US recently. Um, but it's also, it's a tool and it's never going to be held back. It's, it's here now. You, you're not going to stop it. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's just about seeing what we can do with it and seeing how it can benefit us for the future because it, it's here to stay. And quite good you know everyone can use chat gpt it's uh it's the least of what it's been used for and uh i quite i quite like it on a level so speaking of technology and the internet there was actually something i did find about you and i'm going to read a limerick that you wrote here it goes the traffic jams a constant plight that saps out Saps our will to steal our light, a prison of our own design that keeps us trapped and tied to the lines. But on a bike, the winds in the winds in my hair, we're free to roam without a care. The scenery rushes past our eyes, and in our hearts, true joy resides. That was my audition piece, by the way. So I'll, I'll give just you a pass. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, now, it was funny because I went looking for more information, came across your social media, Twitter, used to be known by Twitter, now is known by X, and it is full of limericks, <laughs> and they seem to mostly focus on I'm out. <laughs> bikes and the environment. Um which kudos to you, kudos to you, that Damien, you're stuck indoors 100% of the time because your IT people rarely leave their homes. So when do you get to see nature? When does the wind flow through your hair? Hey, look, so most IT people, so I'm gonna talk for the Kia team. Um, my team, when they work from home, they get up earlier than is reasonable and jump on their computers. And because we're in IT, I can see when they're doing work and I can see what work they're doing and I can see commits flowing in. And, and I see, you know, messages start coming to me about work from six o'clock in the morning. 
and sometimes I'll see them at one o'clock in the morning, sometimes and quite frequently nine or 10 o'clock at night because that's IT people. We go, we get up and we're on the computer. It's less so when we have to work from the office, that's true. But IT people mm-hmm. love that. Um, I guess in my position, I have to sit between IT people and normal people. Uh, and <laughs> and I, I act as that translator. Um, I guess I grew up um, with a very environmental mother. Um, mm-hmm. We had 67 varieties of fruiting plant on the property I grew up on. And uh, I grew up with... Um, I know a love of the environment, a love of the world, and yeah. uh, I guess that's that's still in me and will always be in me. And and it kind of left for a while and became someone who was just a normal office worker, and you know just went to the office every day in the car and and forgot about that. And then one day, um, in the mid two thousand tens, I um, for some reason jumped on a bike and. From my property at the time, it was just like a normal suburban Brisbane property. It was a slight downhill. And um, it, it was just amazing. There was a breeze in my hair and and I, I loved it. So yes. I started, after a while, I started riding to work. And I was arriving at work in a good mood. And I was leaving work just looking forward to the ride home so much. And it was 20 kilometres each way and I was unfit and unhealthy. Uh, and and so it's, it led to me changing my life, becoming a vegan, becoming a full-time cyclist. In 2020, I sold my car um, and moved into a house where we're on a bike path, which you can not quite see behind me. Um, so it was kind of a life change. Um, and I guess, yeah, I know some radical people. I try not to be that person uh, who tries to promote that sort of thing. But let me put it this way. You don't go home after you commute in the car and write a limerick about how amazing it was. I don't think anyone talks about the commutes to work in a car and talk about how good that is. And when we think about the things that we like, they're rarely, you know, if, if cars are so great, why doesn't anyone want to live on a main road? Why are we okay with destroying that bit of the uh, the world for the sake of cars when there are much better ways to do things? So I guess I can get ranty about the environment, but ultimately... Um, no, you are quite passionate about it. You are very passionate about it. And you actually highlighted a stat for me when I was in Brisbane, and because I had come to Brisbane to attend FIP, the Pharmacist International Conference. And I mentioned to you that they actually spoke about climate change and global warming actually affecting pharmacy. And the fact that when we have hotter temperatures due to climate changes, it affects our medications because most medications are stored below 25 yes. degrees Celsius. When we have more severe storms, like what Australia usually experiences, I remember when I was in Derby, we had like severe rain to the point where we got cut off from everyone else in Australia. We couldn't get medications in. People were chartering private planes to get out of Derby. The Woolies had to send over a barge to actually bring us our food. So simple things like that, where we are flooded or where there's fires, we actually cannot get medicines to our patients. So an increased drought as well means that food malnutrition is a lot higher. Um, There's more health risks with the pollution that, we emit. So I totally, and it was only after I t- attended 
that conference that I actually went, oh, you know, wait a minute. I've never really thought about global warming or climate change in a pharmacy setting. You know, you tend to think, oh, that does not affect me. That does not apply to mm -hmm. me. But then when you look at it as patients' mental health is affected because they're in a concrete jungle, they don't have anywhere to go and find respite or food is in short supply or, you know, something simple as a flood has brought on malaria or a dengue fever, you know, all those sort of elements, it gets you thinking. And yeah, I think, what I do think we do about it? One of the problems that we have as humanity is shifting baseline theory. So the world that you're born into is what you consider to be normal. If people are born into a fundamentally hot world, um, that, you know, where it's normal for things to catch fire and it's normal for floods, you, you're you not born into thinking, I'm going to change the whole world and make this stop happening. That would require a really radical mindset. And people on, on the whole, you know, the bell curve would suggest that 66% of people are just normal and won't think that way. So we're kind of born into a world thinking something is normal when in fact, really it's within our control. Um, and in that, in that sense, shifting baseline really hurts our ability to act on something. Um, I'd like to see somehow pharmacy be part of the solution for this. As someone who, yes. you know, as, as someone who works in industry that cares about health, um, it would be good if we as pharmacy could contribute to the health of not just the patient, but of the world that the patient lives in, because there's nothing like uh, a determinant of health than the environment that you live in. Yeah, very true, very true. And yeah, we probably need to come up with more sustainable elements like minimize stock, stockpiling of our patients' medications. Um, don't allow them to hoard all that medication. And if they do, do that one step further where you tell them how to properly destroy it by bringing it back into the pharmacy and not throwing it down the drain or you know, so that it end, ends up in our waterworks. But technology can also help us with that. Can't I mean? I'm assuming. So this is an interesting one. Um, can technology help us save the environment? Probably. Um, AI probably is, is can be a shortcut to finding technological solutions to the environment. Um, but I'm going to suggest nothing would help us save anything like personal responsibility. So if we decide to take a responsibility for the environment and change one action in our day that we wouldn't have otherwise done, it will have a lot more um, effect than relying on someone to come up with a technological solution because it's ultimately saying, I want to keep behaving badly. I want to keep not caring and putting myself or my busy day first over the world and expecting that technology will just make that a forgivable action for me. Um, so I do see a separation between my job in technology and my care of the world in that I do not look for one for a solution to the other. Um, you know, we, we say, don't print this email. Well, you know, how many servers are running right now at full power to keep that email stored in the cloud? I guess, uh, and it, you know, we can't just not do anything and, and shrink away into being nothing. But simple things like deciding instead of driving into a car park, parking and walking to work from there, catch public transport once a week and 
you've taken the car off the road 50 days of a year and that's a huge benefit to the environment right there because you made an action and it gets you out and socializing as well as much as you can yeah instead uh, of being stuck in your car and i tell you what it's a lot more satisfying when you're working for a cause if you have the environment in mind in some action each day like you will be able to see a thousand things that you can do over the course of the week where you can make a small adjustment and have a big effect mm -hmm. Uh, and I think, for example, one person catching a bus once a week, what good will that really do? Well, if everyone actually tried to do this, you know, there'd suddenly be a lot more buses on the road. Our public transport systems would improve and, and we would have um, an actual impact. So I don't know. I just, I just personally feel that if we really want a solution to something, forget about yes. whether it's for the environment or for, for social change or for standing up for our rights. If we want a solution to something, it's personal action, personal action where it starts. We have to do something ourselves, not expect that something else or someone else will solve it for us. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I want to highlight that I don't own a car. I, <laughs> I bus it in Sydney. And would I own a car in Sydney? Well, I think the stress of just even trying to get around with everything that goes on in Sydney would be just way too hard. So I might be just busing it for a while. Um, I, we're almost about to close up the podcast. So I'm going to ask you two more questions. Now, as a tradition for this podcast, these two questions, one will come from someone within PAG and one will actually come from ChatGPT. So my first question comes from Shannon Kerr and she is the chief project officer. Yeah. When I ask her... When I asked her, what do you want to ask Damien? She was like, oh, Damien is a visionary. He's a visionary. So ask him, what does know-it-all look like in 2050? Can he paint us a picture of what he sees of the know-it-all platform 2050? in 2050? 2050. I think technology is heading uh, towards knowing what people want before they know that they want it. And in, as someone in my position who tries to design products, uh, I'm always trying to do that. And people come to me and ask me for a particular solution. And my job is to look beyond what they're asking for and think, what is it that this person really needs? And we go away and design something else. Uh, and it wasn't what they asked for, but it's 10 times better than what they asked for. That's the best case scenario anyway. Um, so I think there's two options. One is our technology is um, is able to predict what people want and what people need before they've asked for it. And I think okay. the other option is that we will finally have finished rolling out Reportal to Platform Alliance. <laughs> well, and that has been a big project for you. It sure has, yeah. And, and I feel, I'm sorry I'm apologising because I'm always constantly asking you to add stuff to... You know, oh, we, we do the SOS. I, I love getting feedback and requests because okay. uh, it shows people are engaging it and one more, uh, you know, this is what we have. And, and it's, you say it's a big project for me. It's a big project for the team. Uh, and and my biggest part in this project was hiring the right people. We've got a really, really good team and I'm really proud of mm -hmm. them. Um, and I've never seen anyone so dedicated as the people that we have in this company. And I think we're really lucky, not just in Kia, but beyond Kia, because the amount of dedication and commitment to the jobs is almost at a bizarre level. So I'm very, very lucky to work in a good company, but I'm also, uh, I'm very proud of the people who I 
took to hire. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just pleased with the team. Because you brought it up, could you, and I'm being totally, because um, I actually don't know what other platform they were on before, but what's the benefit of them being on this Kia reportal platform, the loyalty platform? Because Kia is made up of a number of elements, isn't it? It's made up of loyalty, which we touched on a little bit, but then there's also reportal you just mentioned. Yeah. So what's so, the benefits? So when we look at what know-it-all is, um, it's, it was fundamentally designed to be a loyalty and reporting platform all in one thing. Um, and if that's what you need and that's all you need, then I guess it's okay at doing that as of a couple of years ago. Uh, but to build a successful company, I really like the Amazon model. Um, where they were nothing but a bookstore that didn't even turn over a profit. And they said, well, to run this bookstore, we're going to need this IT service, which doesn't really properly exist for ourselves right now. And they built it as a standalone service and they forced themselves to integrate with it. And the next time they needed a service, they said, are we better off getting an off-the-shelf library to do this or can we build that one ourselves? And if it was cost-effective, they did it themselves and forced themselves to integrate. And before too long, those services that they built were far more profitable than their bookstore ever was. And even to this day, Amazon.com is not as uh, profitable as the other things that that company does. Um, so when I started at, um, at Know-It-All, we looked at it and said, this loyalty system is just this one application which just does consumer loyalty in a pharmacy. And it's okay at doing that. But what if given that we have to spend send emails and it's costing so much money to spend to send emails what if we built a little email program off to the side which just does that and we force ourselves to integrate with it and that gave birth to touchpoint and now touchpoint is becoming a marketing automation solution which could lead to the next thing in pharmacy where uh, we're able to communicate constantly with our with our patients and talk to them to, about what's important to their health based on what they've bought um, we've got reportal which is a reporting portal and uh, which um, does the reporting side. It's just good at reporting and it's really good at reporting. It's just that one pure thing that it reports and it could be for a pharmacy, but it could be for any industry. So it's just good at reporting. Um, And there's a number of other suites of systems that um, our users don't currently see, which exist on my home screen in Epica because I can can see everything uh, in our system. So We've split it out into every individual service we need. Mm -hmm. When you say you can see everything on your screen, you mean you can see patients' things? No, 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 no. I mean, I can see everything we've built. Oh, everything you've built. Most people can see it on the portal. I can see everything. So there is that anonymity, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we live in such a, uh, we work in such a, a highly regulated and ethical industry, and rightly so. So we mm-hmm. we work in at Know-It-All for an ethical company who are part of an ethical company, and so we have to be extremely careful. We never deal with patient uh, names or names. Yeah. So like everyone else, we have to be super careful and super respectful of that sort of thing, and, and I wouldn't want to work for a company that was any other way. Yeah, true, because um, that's really important to highlight. Um, but then also only because of all these cyber attacks that happened, I got hit. I think at one point I stopped counting because I got hit with Optus. I was hacked there. I was hacked when Horizon. I was hacked when Medibank as well. So, you know, I was hacked at all fronts. Are we, 
is the data safe and secure in know-it-all? Uh, one of the things that we've done is uh, we formed a security committee very early on in the piece. Um, I did a review of everything that was there and we hired some really good people who really care about this sort of thing. The last thing a developer wants is to be involved in something to do with data because it's a personal slight. You know, you don't want to say that something you wrote came into this data piece. So everything that we've made, everything that we've written, um, we know is great. We know it's super secure and we're very, very hard for anyone to get into. And we use world's best practice systems to stop people getting into know-it-all data. Uh, in spite of how good we know it is, we still meet once a month and try to review things and try to pen test, which means penetrate tests. So to, to get into our own backend um, nefariously. And we, we do our best to break our own system uh, because you know, I hire a whole bit bunch of uh, clever people who are clever at getting into things. So will they try to get in? And if they can't do it, then you know we know that we're on the right track. In spite of that, we continue to meet once a month. We continue to find ways to improve our security and to make it harder for anyone else to to get into the back end. And and every release, we have something for security, just as a nod to making things tighter and safer for our for our users and for the consumers. Okay. Well, that's really good to know, especially in a world where everything is out there for anyone and everyone. Yeah. That there's still a... There's yeah, and still... you proved that by cyber-stalking me, so thanks for that. <laughs> so, yes, it's good to know. Um, last question, promise, and this is from ChatGPT. If you could invent an eco-friendly superhero gadget, what would it be and how would it save the planet from environmental villains like plastic waste and carbon emissions? I mean, that's pretty easy. I, I would, going back to what I said before, we should not look to gadgets to solve our problems. We should look to personal responsibility. Lovely. Well, thank you. Look, we're done. I'm you sure survived. that is the most boring podcast that's ever been produced. And I'm really sorry to anyone who is just waking no. up at the end of the podcast <laughs> going, what have I just done? No, you're good, Damien. You were a stellar, stellar guest. And I thank you for coming. Thank you for your time. At Platform Alliance Group, we believe that success is not just about individual accomplishments, but also about lifting each other up. Together, we can build a thriving and prosperous pharmacy industry that meets the needs of the patients and supports the Australian health system. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. And don't forget to share, like, and leave us a comment if you have found this episode of value or have any feedback. The podcast is promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast platforms. And each episode can be found at the Pharmacy View webpage with links to the guest contact and business details. So once again, thank you for joining us today on the podcast and see you soon.